Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. This weekend, uh, I, I want you to know, I, I every weekend take this time seriously, but especially this weekend, the burden I feel for the next 30 minutes is really big, and I'm going to take the next 30 minutes of our lives extremely seriously. And maybe you haven't been in church in a while, and you're really hoping that the guy preaching the sermon would, would tell funny jokes to keep you awake during the sermon. It's not going down like that. Maybe you were hoping for great stories that kept you engaged. There's not enough time for that. I have 30 minutes. And I don't know if you and I are ever going to get an opportunity to spend 30 minutes like this together again. And so I'm going to read a whole lot of the Bible. And, and probably about 90% of this message is, is going to be me reading the Bible and us reading it together. And here's why. My jokes can't save you. They're not even funny. Okay, how could bad jokes save anybody? They can't. The best story can't save anybody. But this book... It's living and breathing, and it can save because it's the word of God, and it's powerful and active. And so we're going to spend a lot of time uh, reading God's word together. And this message is for two different types of people, all right? And I want to say that from the onset. The first type of person this message is for is somebody who doesn't have a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus personally, this message is for you. And the goal of this message uh, is to give you some understanding a little bit about who Jesus is and was during his time on the earth, uh, but also what he did. Uh, but it's not just about giving you understanding. The goal of this message is really anybody who doesn't know Jesus personally, the real goal is that your eyes would be open and that maybe you've heard some of these things before, but my prayer has been for uh, the last couple of weeks that it would be as though this were the first time you were hearing it, that it, something would just click inside of you. The other person that this message is for is somebody who has a personal relationship with Jesus. And maybe it's been for a year or months, or maybe it's been for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It doesn't matter how long this message is for you. And the goal of this message for you is one part reminder, but really one part uh, celebrator. I, I don't know how to exactly say it the right way, but to where you'll be reminded of what Christ did for you and just how amazing some of the things he did going to the cross and dying and being raised again really are in such a way that would cause you to celebrate every day of your life, not just Easter weekend, not just special weekends, not just Christmas weekend, but every weekend of your life to celebrate what Christ has done. I want to start our time with a little prayer. God, thank you so much for every person here. I thank you for those who do not have a personal relationship with you, Jesus. I, I thank you that all, out of all the places in the world that they could be right now, it's amazing to me that they're here in your presence. And my prayer for them over the next 30 minutes is simple. Jesus, would you open their eyes? Would you open their eyes to see you? Would you do that during this time? And Lord, 
for those who have been walking with you for whatever period of time, I pray during this message that their eyes of understanding would, would be increased, that they would be given an even greater revelation of what you did, Jesus, for them. And may we celebrate it together, your goodness, your love for us, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in a series the last month or so titled Follow Me, and this series has kind of been all about following Jesus during his three-year period of ministry on the earth, following him to some of the places that he went. And so, of course, this being Easter weekend, we're going to have to talk about where Jesus went this weekend several thousand years ago. The title of this weekend's message is, Follow Me to the Cross and to the Empty Tomb. And judging by the welcome and the hello, we're really going to key in on that second half during this message, all right? You're going to get some really good news because maybe you didn't know how the story ended. And that's why you're a little bummed out this weekend. It's like, ah, it's Saturday. He's dead. No, no, no. (laughs) We're, We're going to talk about what Jesus did on the cross, the why behind it. We're also going to talk about some of the hows, and I'm going to give you a couple of of things to consider as we talk together about the cross. Here's the first thing that I want you to understand. It's point number one. This didn't just happen. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't just happen. It's, It's not like Jesus woke up one day and just said, you know what I feel like doing today? Dying on a cross. You know what I feel like three days later? I'd like to be raised up again to new life. No, no, no. This didn't just happen. It was actually foretold or predicted several hundred years before Jesus ever did it, all the way out to a thousand years, just over a thousand years in Psalms 16 and 22, a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross. It was predicted not just that he would go to the cross, but some of the most specific details were predicted. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Here's what was so important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. Now, this is not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, This is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He says, Christ died for our sins, just as scripture from long ago predicted he would, prophesied he would. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Okay, this didn't just happen, all right? Jesus going to the cross didn't just happen. Jesus being raised from the dead didn't just happen. It had been predicted a thousand years, again, 750 years before, and 500 years before in the Bible. And so I'm gonna show you a bunch of scripture as we just walk through some Old Testament and some New Testament. You'll see what was predicted and you'll see Jesus fulfill it completely. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. And I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I'm worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out for my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, this magnificent sum at which they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. Now look at Matthew 26, verse 15. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. Look in the next chapter, Matthew 27. Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. 
The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Matthew 27, but when the leading priests and elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they're bringing against you, Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Matthew 26, 67, then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering or mocking. Prophesy to us, you Messiah, who hit you that time? Psalm 22, verse 18, a thousand years, over a thousand years before Christ's death. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Matthew 27, verse 35, after they had nailed Jesus to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Matthew 27, verse 46, at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Mark chapter 15, verse 27, and with him, with Jesus, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. He was among the transgressors. And remember, he interceded for one. He said, surely today you'll be with me in paradise. Isaiah chapter 53, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own, the rich man, his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Jesus in Luke chapter 18, for the third time, predicts, prophesies to his disciples his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 31, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 said, But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. I realize we just played ping pong, Old Testament, New Testament, ping pong with a whole lot of scriptures. But here's why you have to understand the significance of all of that. Because God called his shot. Now I want you to think about this for a moment because he was incredibly specific about how his son was going to die. He told us many of the details about how it was going to go down. Now I want you to think about just how amazing it is that God 
predicted his shot, called his shot over a thousand years before he made it. What if a thousand years ago, some people began writing about the greatest baseball player who would ever live? And they started writing how you would know who the greatest baseball player who would ever live actually was. And they started writing about one particular game. And they said things like, you will know it's the greatest baseball player who ever lived because on one day, opening day of a season, many days from now, he will step to the plate and his first at bat, he will hit a home run to left field. And in left field, there will be an older man eating nachos who catches the ball. That man will hand the ball to a 10-year-old little girl. The second time he comes up to the plate, he's going to hit a home run to right field and it's going to land in all places a swimming pool. And a 19-year-old man is going to come up with the ball. His third at bat, he's going to get up and he's actually going to hit a home run out of the park. It's going to bounce out in the street into a parked taxi cab whose rear window was rolled down. But it doesn't end there. You'll really know he's the greatest baseball player who will ever live because for someone who has never pitched before in his life, at the end of the game, he's going to be asked to come in and pitch to save the game for his team. And he's going to face three batters and he's going to strike each of them out with only three pitches, all swinging strikes. That's kind of crazy, right? That's pretty specific. Guy in left field eating nachos, hands the ball to a 10-year-old girl. But what if on opening day, this season, just a week or two ago, with your, not my, beloved Arizona Diamondbacks. <laughs> it's Easter, but I still got to be honest. <laughs> Rangers. But what if on opening day, one guy gets up to the plate. Hits a home run to left field. And what do you know? An older gentleman sitting out on the bleachers in left field, eating nachos with his left hand, catches the ball with his right hand. And there happens to be a family with two young girls sitting next to him. And he goes to hand the ball to the youngest of the two who happens to be eight. And as he reaches out to hand the ball to the eight-year-old, the 10-year-old older sister jumps into the middle and grabs the ball, throws it up in the air on the camera and says, I got it. Second at bat, guy goes to the other side of the plate, hits a home run out to right field. And when you know it, there's a swimming pool out there. Somebody said a thousand years ago, the best player, baseball player who will ever live will hit a home run into a swimming pool. 50, 60 people are out there partying by the pool. 30 of them jump into the pool and everybody goes down. The ball's knocked down under the water, and up comes a hand holding the ball. And it's a 19-year-old young man. It's pretty crazy. But then his third at-bat, the guy gets up and he actually hits a home run out of the stadium for the first time in Chase Field history. The ball bounces several times into the back seat of a parked taxi cab whose window was rolled down. But it doesn't stop there. This baseball player who's never pitched in his life 
The Diamondbacks run out of pitchers. It's extra innings. They're up one. The bases are loaded. No outs. He comes in, faces three batters, strikes all three of them out, three pitches each. Don't you think if somebody, several people, would have predicted all of that 1,000 years ago, 750 years ago, 500 years ago, that somebody in the stats department would have known that and would have brought it to somebody's attention and it would have been all over the news. People were talking about this home run hitter 1,000 years ago and we're seeing it happen right before our eyes. That would be amazing, right? It's never going to happen. No baseball player is ever going to do that. Here's why. Because 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, nobody was writing about baseball players. Jesus didn't come to play a game. Jesus came to end the game. He came to save you. And much of what he did on his way to the cross was predicted by other people a 1,000 years before he did it. That is amazing. It's one thing to hit a home run. It's another thing to say, I'm about to hit a home run. It's going to land in the hand of an older man who's eating nachos. He's going to hand it to a 10-year-old. That's how specific God was in telling us what Christ's journey to the cross, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the death he experienced on the cross, what it all would look like. This didn't just happen. That leads us to the second point. Jesus did his part. Jesus did his part. We could talk about a lot of different things, but I don't have very much time, so I'm only going to talk about a couple of them. Jesus did, did really two very important things as it relates to the cross. Here's the first one. He died. Jesus died for you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death for you on the cross. Jesus died for you. Here's the second really big thing Jesus did on the cross. He carried your sin. He didn't just die. He carried your sin. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body. Jesus, the Son of God, carried your sins in his body on the cross so that you, so that I, so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you were healed. Think about this. Murder, rape, incest, robbery. Think about all of the evil things that mankind has found to do with their hands. Jesus' hands were wounded for every one of those things, every one of those evil things was put on Jesus. He didn't just die for you. He carried all of your baggage, all of your junk. He put it on himself. He carried your sin. Think about this. 
Think about all of the nasty, evil places man's feet have carried him to. Down the street to buy drugs. To the house of the adulterous affair. To the abortion clinic. To have an abortion. Think about all the evil places man's feet have taken him. Jesus' feet were wounded, were pierced for you in every evil place. And every deed done in that evil place was put on Jesus for you. He carried your sin. He didn't just die for you. He put your sin on himself. The big question is why? Why would he do it? Why would he die for you? Why would he put his sins, your sins, on him as though they were his own? Yet he never sinned. Well, the answer is one word, and it's a simple word, but it's kind of hard to fully understand sometimes. It's the word love. Why did Jesus do it? Because he loves you. Jesus loves you. Listen to what he said with his own mouth. John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Think about this. Jesus is saying, as the Son of God, I have access to every word and every language. But I still don't like the way any of them sound because when I put a bunch of them together, none of them really convey to you how much I actually love you. Words don't do it justice. I got it. I won't say it to you. I'll die for you. Because anyone can say with their mouths that they love you, but you would truly know that someone loves you if they laid their life down for you. I'll die for you. Jesus did it because he loves you. Isn't it amazing? If you haven't been in church in a while and you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, maybe you've heard Christians talk about judgment and make it sound like God's mad at you. Listen, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross for you if he was bothered by you. He went to that cross and died for you and carried your sins as though they were his own because he's infatuated with you. He loves you. And that's why he did his part. That leads us to point number three. God did his part. Jesus did his, but God also did his part. Again, we could talk about a bunch of different stuff. Let me just show you three really important things that God did as it relates to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Here's the first. He paid. God paid. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that God, the God of the universe, paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver because anybody could do that. Those things lose their value. This payment was made with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Jesus as your ransom, your payment, long before the world began. See, the problem is really simple. When sin entered the world, it created a really big problem for you and for me. And one of the problems it created, is the Bible says the penalty for sin is death. And not just human death, 
eternal death, death forever. God said, Preston, you can't pay that price. You can't afford that. I've come up with a solution. I'm going to send my son to die, and I'm going to pay your price with the blood of my only son. Jesus went to the cross, but God, as father, paid the price by sending his son to die. Here's the second thing God did. He accepted. He didn't just pay. He accepted the payment. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for everyone has sinned, all of us. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Don't beat yourself up. Without Jesus, all of us are messed up. All of us are nasty. None of us have anything to brag about. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. In other words, he accepted the payment to remove the penalty. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. God didn't just pay the price for you. He accepted the price. As the one who sits above all, he said, I accept that payment because you couldn't afford that. I could. I sent my son to die, to bleed out for you. And his payment removes your penalty. But that's not all God did. Something I think we forget about that's a really big deal that God did. Is he also raised Jesus from the dead. He raised him. Jesus didn't do it. God did. Acts chapter 2, verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14, and God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. And we'll talk more about this in point number four, but it's really important that you understand Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. God did. God did it. Jesus did not raise himself. The power of God did. And you'll understand why that's so important for us in just a minute. But here's the big question. Why did God do it? Why did God pay the price for you? Why did he send his son to die for you? Why did God accept Christ's payment of his own blood to remove your penalty? And why did God raise Jesus from the dead? The answer is simple. It's the same word as to why Jesus did it. It's the word love. Because God loves you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is real love. You may have heard love talked about before, but the Bible says this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's why he paid and accepted the price. We just read it. Real love. John 3, verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why did God raise Jesus from the dead? If the penalty for sin is eternal death, God could not give you eternal life if he did not raise Jesus from the dead back to life. The reason God raised Jesus from the dead was you. It wasn't just to prove a point. It was personal. It was for you. God 
did it for you because he loves you. So Jesus did his part. God did his part. That brings us to the fourth point. And it's a question. Will you do your part? Will you do your part? Now, if you've never met Jesus, there are two things, two really major things you need to do. If you want to know Jesus, have a personal relationship with him. There are two really important things. And your mind might be reeling right now. And you might be thinking, okay, I'm going to have to stand up on that stage and tell the whole church all the things I've done wrong. Thank God, no. You don't have to do that. Okay, I'm going to have to do something weird, something wacky, because I've seen some Christians before, and I'm going to have to do what they do, even though I don't want to do it at all. No. It's actually what the Bible says, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, what you have to do is actually so much more simple and so much more beautiful than that. Here's the first thing you have to do. You have to believe. The Bible says if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, the first thing you have to do, you have to believe. Romans chapter 3, verse 25, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. You simply have to believe that Jesus died for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You have to believe. Here's the second major thing you have to do. You have to believe, but the Bible also says you have to confess. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, Preston, that's what I was saying. If I have to know Jesus, I have to confess all of my sins before God can forgive them all through Jesus. No, that's not the kind of confession the Bible's talking about. There are two ways to see confession. One is a, a, a verbal declaration of guilt. Here's what I've done wrong. But there's another. It's simply a verbal declaration. And that's what Romans in chapter 10 is talking about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, here's what that means. You have to say with your mouth and in your heart, I am no longer the most important person in my life. Jesus is. That's it. I'm not number one anymore. I, I don't sit at the head of the table. Jesus does. I'm not in control of my life anymore. Jesus is. Believe and confess. That's not so hard. It's all you have to do if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him. But what if you're here today and you've been walking with Jesus for a while, maybe even a long time? Is there anything you should be doing as we take a look at the celebration of Christ's death and resurrection? Should those things be causing you to be doing anything? Yes, there are two major things. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus, Christ's death and resurrection should remind you of several things, two of them extremely important. A lot of things, but I want to talk about these two. Here's the first one. You should walk in power. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you should walk in power. And Easter weekend, the celebration of Christ, his resurrection, not just his death, should remind you, you should walk in power. That's what the Bible says, right? 
Clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you as a believer in Jesus. Ephesians 1, verse 19 says it this way, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us or available to us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. You know, sometimes as Christians, I think we emphasize the cross at the expense of the resurrection and empty tomb. I think we talk so much about killing the flesh and dying to our flesh, die, 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 that we forget to celebrate just as much, not just that Christ died for us, but that God raised him from the dead. I mean, think about this, baptism is a reflection of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. What if as Christians, all we did was emphasize the death and burial part? And when we go in to baptize you, I hate to tell you, (laughs) hope you can hold your breath for a while. If we don't emphasize the resurrection power, then all we are is a bunch of drowning disciples. God didn't make you to be a drowning disciple. He made you to be more than a conqueror. You were created to walk in power. And this week I said to my 10-year-old son, I said, buddy, what's going through your mind as you think about that Jesus, the Son of God, died for you? He said, Daddy, it's unbelievable to think about. And it's just incredible. I, I don't even know if I can understand it all the way. Jesus died for me. I said, I know, it's amazing. I said, what's going through your head that Jesus didn't stay dead? What, what do you think of when you think about the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead? He said, it's amazing. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, Daddy. He got up. Yeah, it's amazing, buddy. But buddy, do you know what the Bible says about you as a believer in Jesus Christ? That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. Son, the Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. You can do amazing things in this world, not because you're so powerful or amazing, but because the Spirit of God lives in you. If you walk with Jesus and you have a personal relationship with Him, you better be walking in power. Because if the story was all about weakness, He would have stayed in that tomb. But it wasn't just about weakness. It was about the power of God that raised Christ from the dead and it's available to you if you know Jesus. It's not enough just to walk in power. There's a second thing that I believe the death and resurrection points believers to, to remind us daily about. It's to come close. Not just to walk in power, but to come close to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for God made Christ who never ever sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Those are relational terms. God is making sure you understand. He sent his son to die 
so that he could have the relationship with you that he was longing for, where sin would no longer get in the way eternally of you holding him by the hand. What about Matthew chapter 27 when Jesus shouts out one last time and releases his spirit? Verse 51 of Matthew 27 says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God was making a declaration in that moment, no longer is it acceptable to me for one person to come into my presence one time a year. I am tearing this veil. I want you to have unfettered personal access to the God of the universe. (laughs) And if you don't know Jesus, maybe you feel a little beat up, a little beat down. It's not your fault before Jesus, we're all super, super weak. You know what? I'm still weak and I've been walking with Jesus since I was a teenager. I still have moments of weakness. But the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and He can live in you too. You don't have to be weak forever. You can walk in power. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and you feel alone. You don't ever have to feel alone again. God tore the curtain. You may not understand what that means, but just trust me when I say he was letting you know he doesn't want anything to come in the way of you and him. That you can go boldly into the God of the universe's presence. When we talk about the fact that God called his shot, he said it a thousand years, over a thousand years before he did it. He was specific down to some of the smallest details. It's amazing. It's incredible that he did what he said he would do. But you know what's far more amazing than the fact that God called this shot? It's the why behind it all. And the why behind all of that, the cross, the tomb, and the resurrection, the why behind it all. The Bible says before the beginning of time was you. God did it for you. Jesus went to the cross and died for you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.